We do not start our Christian lives by working out our faith for ourselves. It is mediated to us by Christian tradition in the form of sermons, books, and established patterns of church life and fellowship. We read our Bibles in the light of what we have learned from these sources. We approach Scripture with minds already formed by the mass of accepted opinions and viewpoints with which we have come into contact in both the church and the world. It is easy to be unaware that it has happened. It is hard even to begin to realize how profoundly tradition in this sense has molded us, but we are forbidden to become enslaved to human tradition, either secular or Christian, whether it be Catholic tradition or critical tradition or ecumenical tradition. We may never assume the complete rightness of our own established ways of thought and practice and excuse ourselves the duty of testing and reforming them by scriptures. J.I. Packer. The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and on my left is Billy Eye Candy Kimsey. Fun size and king size. (laughs) Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. And uh, we got to get a name for Cherry. I mean, the name is good. (laughs) Cherry Lewis to my right. Hello. And behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. One day I'll, I'll pick out an actual noise. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like pew, the, pew, the, pew, pew, the pew. semi-sadness of making it with your mouth, though. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was better. That yeah. was better than mine. <laughs> well, today, after this past episode, um, you know, it, it kind of hit my heart a little bit because Ralph talks about the miracle of life. And I don't want to downplay Ralph. Uh, I agree. I think as much as he loves his family and his children and how it makes him feel, and also just from looking at it from his perspective, I can see where he's coming from. But, you know, and I also see Andy's point, you know, looking at it from a biological point of view, we can't explain it. And so, it yeah, I, I'm, quite... I, I'm with you, Rick. I, I agree with Randy on that one, Ralph and Andy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really do. I mean, you know, so, and just exactly what you said. Yeah. So. And so, uh, Cherry wasn't here. And so, she doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. You were here with one of those arguments when we talked about when Ralph talked about birth. And I think you got in and involved in that. Yes. Yeah. Was it? It was a dealing with the love of Christ and the birth of your children. Right. Did you feel like when you had babies, did you scream, this is a miracle? <laughs> no. Get this thing out of me. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So, what about when you were making it? Is, is, was hey, that a miracle? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> the answer is yes. Got a new yes. podcast here. <laughs> the answer is yes. But I actually came up with a miracle. I, I thought about birth a little bit, and so— Just check me out. This is how it works. I want you to imagine a man and a woman making sweet, sweet love. Really? And suddenly the woman fires the egg directly into the man. 
and it goes through the whatever that vesicle is. Urethra? No, that's for the That's urine. for the PP. Yeah. No, it's it goes into the PP, but it goes through into the seminal vesicles and seats at the bottom and meets with a, a sperm. And it So the what do you call it? the eggs in my gonad? Yeah, so okay, then it good. germinates. And then you know how when you get hit down there that it hurts your stomach. Well, the reason why is because that's where the baby's going to grow. So it starts growing inside the man. And then at the end of the nine or 10 months, is it nine months? <laughs> 40 weeks. Forty At the end of the 40 weeks, <laughs> then you drop a deuce. And there it is. Would that not be miraculous? Yes. That's, uh, yeah. Now yeah. we're talking. That's supernatural. That's something that's never happened before. That would blow your mind. And your butt <laughs> Wow. Lord, I think start. I walked into the wrong room today. I think you did. Hello. Y'all right over there, Rick? Uh, I'm actually great. I'm actually great. And the so, thing is, Rick, what's he drinking over there? I know, right? It's, Got the hiccups. Yes. Rick had tiger wings earlier today, yeah, right. which I yeah, think something. is code for I tiger's blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Charlie Sheen today. said tiger's blood. He pretty much always meant cocaine. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Chicken wings rolled Sorry in cocaine. Sorry for the crass behavior, but, or the crass joke, but the point was is that it would be supernatural. That's something that has never happened. And I think it's safe to say, when we talk about what happened as far as Jesus coming to the earth and what happened there, that hadn't happened either. A resurrected body and God resurrecting it. You know, Jesus did it with other people, the three people that we can think of, I think, right? Lazarus, the widow of Nain's son, and then the little girl that was uh, Jairus's daughter. I think those are the only three that are mentioned scripturally. But his resurrection was unique and that God raised him from the dead. And so what I decided to do was to look, I, I feel for Ralph. <laughs> Don't, I'm, I can take care of myself. No, I know. I'm just saying that He's from Compton. That's true. Represent. <laughs> but what I wanted to do is to look at birth from the baby's perspective. And I was thinking about what it was like for me. Like, I try to remember as far back as I can. My earliest memory is around two years old, and I'm bouncing in this little thing called a Johnny Jump Up. And <laughs> there's a dog. I see the dog. You know, I have these memories. What What are your earliest memories, Billy, like from when you were little? Maybe this morning. <laughs> you have excellent I've, short-term memory. Yeah, I've, man, that's tough. Maybe kindergarten, some memories from kindergarten, but before kindergarten, I don't think I remember a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember skipping school with my brother. We got in trouble for that. Um, in in kindergarten? And playing. Yeah, yeah, kindergarten and first grade. <laughs> oh, man, my first grade teacher, uh, she was tough. So we, we tried to skip school there, but... Uh, Two years old, yeah. There's no way I can remember that. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. How about you, Ralph? I've got a lot of three-year-old memories and, and a couple of five when I was five. So when I was three, we lived in these apartments, and we went to Disneyland, and I had this big Mickey balloon. And when I got out of the car, I didn't know that it wasn't tied to my wrist. I didn't know that you had to hold on to it, and it took off. Mm -hmm. And then I remember sitting on the ground outside and the ants biting me and running in and starting a tub. I remember walking with this girl— um, 
who was a neighbor and we went somewhere and there was this garage and there was something interesting in there and I went to grab something and it fell on my head and that hurt like heck. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad's car rolling backwards and hitting a wall. I remember my dad catching me throwing bottles and I was in the garage. Now I know this that I was three because at three and a half, we moved to a different place. Uh, I remember my little red wagon. I remember the orange groves there. And then when I was in kindergarten, I remember sitting next to a girl and I kissed her. And then I had to sit next to the piano teacher for the rest of the day. <laughs> so those are my earliest memories. That's awesome. How about you, Andy? I have, I'm with Billy. I have criminally bad memory to the point where every once in a while, my wife is like, I'm worried about you. <laughs> I actually have okay memory. It's just, I don't remember anything before five. I don't remember anything you say before this morning, but it's like, <laughs> if I if I had to tell you what I did last week, I'd have to like look at my calendar and then think about it. Mm -hmm. I have one vague memory of being in a bathtub maybe when I was a baby, but I can't tell if that's like an actual memory or something created from a later conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's definitely my earliest memory, sense. but it's super vague. So, What about you, Cherry? I don't really know how old I was. I know I had definitely not started school yet, but I remember... Um, uh, Mattress in the Woods. No. <laughs> Hopefully not that young, anyway. Party young. So, you, guys are, you guys are never going to let people, that go. No, never. No, never. We're going to lose half the people on this podcast listening going, that's not the kind of show I want to listen to. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's okay. Um, that's the kind of show it is. I remember... Um, creating mud pies and throwing them at our neighbor's house uh, with my brother and the little boy that lived there. I don't know what his name was. We just called him Mudface. Hmm. And so we had to get out there. His mom made us clean it all off. And I remember breaking a rotten egg in the woods with my brother and my uncle. Um, I remember my mom trying to catch the car when I knocked it out of gear when I was rolling down the hill. I can still see her grabbing the hood of the car. Wow. Um, trying to Superman it to a stop. Yeah, yeah. like I would some say real Dukes of Hazard right there. I had to be three, at least probably three, because I could still ride a tricycle. Oh, okay. okay. So I have a lot of memories like that. I kept, I didn't realize this was a memory that I had flew on an airplane when I was very young like that. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, when we were young, very, very young, we were taken away from our parents. We were placed in foster care for a while um, in Illinois. And uh, I remember flying on an airplane and I kept seeing my aunt standing there at the airport, but I didn't realize it. And when I mentioned it to my dad, he was surprised that I could remember it. So those are the memories that I have. Wow. Yep. Kind of sad. No, the med pies were fine. Yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, and whenever I was, I think I was three uh, I lived in Lincoln Park, Michigan, and I remember going outside and playing in the yard, and this little black boy ran up to me, and he handed me this ghost. It was around Halloween, obviously, and he handed me this little, it was like a sucker that had a napkin wrapped around it with the rubber band oh, and yeah. had the black eyes, you know, and he gave it to me, and I thought, what is this? You know, like, huh, and what is a black person? Like, that was the first time I'd ever seen or really noticed, like, where like in my memory, there was another black person my age right there. And I don't know why, I guess because uh, at that point, that was when I first, you know, saw a black person. So maybe that's why it stuck in my memory. I don't know. That makes sense. I've seen quite a few since, but none of them <laughs> want to give me any no ghosts. ghosts. Suckers. Candy. Anyway, <laughs> but so the whole point of bringing that up is because I wanted to talk about the birth of a Christian 
there there are many different ways that people look at this. You know, some uh, much. Uh, I think that you and I had a very similar experience where we were. Uh, in a church, and it happened either in a pew or at an altar or somewhere where we felt this conviction on our in our lives, or something was there, and we just or we felt like we needed God, and so we called out, you know, to God. It happened to me when I was a child, but then it sort of like weaved its way back and forth into my life. I would fall away and then come back, and then you know, went <laughs> straight into atheism, which is insane to think of. But I don't believe that my salvation had truly come at that point in my life, but I had been introduced to it. And I was, a, you know, I was sort of acting out with whatever the other kid was doing around me at the time. But when you become a Christian, I think it's interesting to understand who is in control at that point. And I think that so much of us believe that we are the ones that are in control when it comes to our own salvation, that we choose it. And I have scriptures that say otherwise. I'm not going to get into the uh, major argument of it, but I am going to pose this um, uh, at the very beginning of this so that everybody understands. I'm going to be reading some scriptures that are hard to understand, but if you just listen to the words, it might surprise you, you know? And so where we're going to start is in John chapter 3, the Gospel of Lazarus chapter 3. <laughs> <laughs> in John chapter 3, you, one of the things that I want everyone to understand is the reason I started the podcast was because of the preconceived notions. And if you've heard at the top of the podcast, the quote that Cherry read, it explains everything. He's exactly right. There's a lot of things that are set up for us. And in the Bible, the chapters and the verses and everything are set up for us. That's not how they were originally written. And so I've said many times that a chapter break sometimes will break the thought. And so I, I don't want that to happen in this narrative, because in John chapter 3, it has one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John three sixteen. Recite it for me, will you, Jerry? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believeth on Him shall have everlasting life. Will not perish have everlasting life. That's right. So a lot of people know that verse and they quote that verse and that's fine. And you can. However, if you take it out of its context, you you lose the meaning and we are ripping it out of its context when we say it. So, but I'm not even going to get to 316 today. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this. And of course, when you listen to it on a podcast, it sounds like you're reading, you're not seeing the chapters and the verses. But what I'm going to do is read at the bottom of chapter 2 and go into chapter 3 so that you can see what the author is trying to show us. So I'll start here. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he took them. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. I'm going to drop down a little bit. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, 
Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So do you see what's happening? I mean, I don't know if if you pick up on it when, when I'm reading it. But do you see what the author is trying to get you to see? Jesus is making all things new. When he comes, he's coming to proclaim the kingdom. He's made the wine out of water. He's made new wine, right? He is the new temple. If you destroy this body, he's the new temple, right? And so... Now, when you go to the Jewish leader, he says, there must be new birth. Well, he brings a new covenant, too. Yeah. Hey, even better. He's bringing a new covenant. So the author is really trying to drive that home. He wants us to understand that Jesus is making all things new. And this is something that um, Nicodemus doesn't understand in that question. So let me give you a little background on Nicodemus first. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body of the Jews, and a highly respected teacher of the Hebrew Scriptures. Nicodemus would be considered the cream of the Jewish crop. That's what they would say. He's, he's the best of the best. One of the most formidable men in all of this, the religious system of Israel. And we must remember that this system or this Judaism was created by God Almighty. So he believes that he's on God Almighty's side. However, Jesus is going to be telling them that they're not really on God's side. They're apostate. In his ministry, that's all he does is tell them that they are apostate. So Jesus is, in essence, telling him, you must be born from above. So let's read John 3, 3 again. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I'll stop there for a second. If anybody wants to see this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, he's just laid out a few, one specific rule, correct? Which is? Be born again. You must be born again. Spiritually. Spiritually. Yes. Anybody want to add anything there? Cherry's thinking. (laughs) So, 
Nicodemus does not understand what Jesus is talking about. And the reason why is because Jewish people, the Hebrews, are the chosen people of God. Correct? Correct. So in his mind, he's not understanding this because he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm well, in the king. Like, I guess for people who have been taught traditionally that they're to follow the law, mm-hmm. and then Jesus tells them you must be born again spiritually, that doesn't fit into any of the law. Mm-hmm. But I guess he's definitely confused. Right. We well, got yeah, Jewish law. Yeah. They've, they've followed Jewish law ever since it was given to them. Mm-hmm. For this, you give this. For this, you give this. And I want to I want to see if I have the right understanding about the water. The water is the cleansing, and then the spiritual renewal. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, by dying, has cleansed us, and now we have spirit. We're renewed spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to get into that here in just a second. That's a good point, Ralph, because a lot there's a there's a lot of dividing beliefs when it comes to what water in the spirit is and some people see it one way and some people see it another well it could or couldn't be taken literally and you know the baptists take it very literally you have yes. to be immersed in water because john the baptist was doing that um but the 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 what it's saying is you know we cleanse with water so you need to be cleansed and jesus did that by dying on the cross and taking our sins on himself that's the cleansing mm-hmm. and then the redemption is us accepting Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that's our rebirth. Right. And so the Baptists, they do it, but they don't believe it's for salvation. Right. Or at least the Baptists that I've been in, that I've been You receive salvation with. first, then you publicly give a display of the cleansing, just as Christ did when he was baptized. Right. Because Christ did it to fulfill all righteousness. And so some Baptists say, you know, the baptism is nothing more than just a public profession of your faith. It doesn't really have anything to do with it. And there are some churches that believe that if you are not baptized, then you are not saved. You know, that's what they say. So, but let, speaking of John the Baptist, uh, let's read what he said about the Pharisees. Uh, you'll find this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, <laughs> listen to this, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What wrath is he talking about? Judgment. Judgment? Yes. And what is that judgment? The destruction of their entire system. The wrath to come. That's what he's telling them. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. So that's something that Nicodemus would have thought of. Well, what do you mean? I mean, Abraham is our father. Mm-hmm. We're a part of the covenant of mm-hmm. promise, right? Correct. That's what they think. But listen to what John the Baptist says. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. That's interesting. And then the next line, the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John the Baptist was there to make the way straight for Jesus, but he's telling them what's coming. He's preparing them. The one that's coming, he's he's bringing fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So at this stage of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus is telling him, what you have isn't enough. And he's like, what do you mean? And 
basically, here's what, here's what Paul says about this in Romans 9. He says, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Do you know what he's talking about when he said it's not as though God's word failed? Why would Paul say that? Do you have any idea? What do you mean? It's not as though God's word failed. He's he's showing you the distinction between what is truly Israel. Okay, so God made a promise to Abraham. He had these covenants that he'd made, this promise. Through his seed, many nations would be blessed, right? Mm -hmm. And he is the Messiah that's coming. So Israel the people, the nation of Israel, believe that those are the ones that are going to receive that promise. Mm-hmm. Correct? But but that's not the case. That's not the case because Jesus is telling them, nope, I'm leaving you desolate. I'm, you have turned from me too many times and now you're killing the Son of God. You've killed all the prophets before me. Here I am. You're going to kill me too. You're going to run your own political game, and it has nothing to do with Yahweh. Nothing. So, what Paul is telling us is that this was the plan from the get-go, that not all of Israel is truly Israel. Is this making sense? Yes. What are you thinking, Billy? And, you know, I don't understand... I mean, I can understand it, but I don't understand how they. I don't understand. I understand why Jews didn't get it, but I don't understand why they couldn't see it because they knew the Messiah was coming. So they should have had room for it in their brains that this was possible. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I look at it as like, you know, they're just looking at a wall thinking this is the only way. We're the only way. We're the only way. And they won't listen to anything else. I think it's easy to understand how when a big change like that comes around, I mean, I mean, it's the same. Just imagine somebody appeared that said that they were Christ re-risen and uh, and gaining a bunch of followers. And so, like, you would need a significant pile of evidence. And I'm pretty sure the Jews at the time all thought he was a charlatan, right? I mean, they didn't really believe in the miracles and stuff. Uh, the power, the the powers that be didn't. Yes, that's so. Right. So I think it's I think it's easy to understand how you could see that and and this sort of usurper. And from the standpoint of the the people in power, and be like, Ugh, I don't know, you know. I think that's the natural response. I agree with that, but they uh, it, they were still waiting for a Messiah. So the so the thought uh, of that coming um, was something that you know you would have thought, or at least I would have thought that they, you know, these are Pharisees. These aren't stupid people. The yeah. Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've studied. They know the Messiah is coming, and they're waiting for the Messiah. So. To say that this isn't possible when Jesus said these things is, to me, it's just like, okay, gosh, you're, you're not even remembering what you're waiting for. It might have been entirely about entrenched power, too. Oh, I, I, could have been I agree with that 100%. Power. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say that uh, through all the studies and all the traditions and, and all the years that it went by, you're right. These are very smart men. And I think that they thought the Messiah that was coming— would have accepted his chosen people and came through to them and for them. And now he's standing here as the Messiah and he's saying to them, the promise that I made to Abraham with the heart that Abraham had 
is not the heart that's standing in front of me now. You have changed it. You've went from being Abraham was a true follower, a true believer in Scripture and God's promises. And over time and over tradition, people learned just to go through the motions and learn by Scripture. You can, you can read a book a million times and almost be able to quote it word for word. That doesn't necessarily mean that you understand where that author was coming from or be able to relate to that author. So they had changed over time. They had turned away over and over again. And then, of course, generation after generation were raised to be taught to just go through the the ritualistic um, sacrifices and how to live your life and just basically to be an outward display of what a Jew is with the understanding, simply because you come from the bloodline of Abraham. You're God's chosen people. So as long as you just keep up this lifestyle, then when the Messiah comes— He's going to accept us. So when Jesus came and was like— He flipped that yeah, script. Yeah, like you're not the people that is true Israel, is true to me in their hearts, not their outward display of what they think was supposed to have been. Mm-hmm. Right. Ethnicity has no bearing on the kingdom of God Oh, whatsoever. absolutely. You know, I read uh, something I, I read, and then I brought it here. It says, the traditional Jewish understanding of the promise of salvation is interpreted as being rooted in the seed of Abraham, that is, physical lineage from Abraham. And Jesus explained to Nicodemus that this doctrine was an error, that every person must have two births, natural birth of the physical body and another of, of water and the spirit. And this discourse with Nicodemus established the Christian belief that all human beings, whether Jew or Gentile, must be born again of the spiritual seed of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we learn that if ethnicity has no bearing, then I want to pose this question to you. If we understand that, if Paul has taught that, if Jesus is telling Nicodemus this, then how can people that are looking for this in time how can they preach that that Israel is still God's chosen people and not to mess with them? How can they do that? For the same way that Catholics who are raised to believe all of these things and Jews that are raised to believe all these things and Hindus and, and everyone else, well, you're raised and taught a certain way, that's the way you believe. Until you have an awakening— uh, and uh, or get an understanding. Somebody has a conversation with you, or like Saul, you all of a sudden you're on your knees. Uh, you believe what you're taught, and if you don't know anything, and that's the only thing you ever taught, well, then that's what you believe to be true. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's easy to like. Like Andy was saying earlier, that's that's easy. That's that's what yeah. they're born with. That's how they're raised. That's a that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Change is scary. I mean, yeah. yeah. not always. I mean, sometimes it looks good, but a lot of times big, meaningful change is uh, terrifying and a giant problem. It represents a huge difficulty. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with that word, huge. I think this is the hugest change of mankind to take your belief that you've had since yeah, you remember absolutely. and have someone say, well, that's wrong. And I am the way, the truth, and, and the life. And then 
to route yourself from your current belief structure. Absolutely. And, was, I think yeah, it was harder for them it. to believe then than it is generations later where people have talked about it and gotten to know Jesus and gotten to know his works and and believed that and the, the, the study of love and, and different things. And it's, I think it was a lot easier 100 years later to believe in a Christ. Oh, I believe that's got to be true. Than sure. to be, you know, Jewish and then have this thrown upon you like a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. to the ones who had studied. I mean, oh, yeah. like you said, they're like the cream of the crop of these people. Mm-hmm. It would be like taking somebody who went to Bible college their whole life and looking at them and be like, you're wrong. It's like talking to a Baptist minister. Yes, and, it can and, be. <laughs> and, and you have to ask, you know, ask yourself the question, you know, Whenever Nicodemus first meets Jesus, when he, when Jesus tells him you must be born again, if you if you look at what he says to Nicodemus, he says, "I know that you must that you're a teacher that's come from God, because if you weren't, you couldn't do these things that you're doing." They, he was witnessing and seeing Jesus do these miraculous events, like he would, you know, you take a man that has a withered hand and that's never been able to use it, or a man that's been blind since birth and give him sight, it's it's going to get your attention. If, in fact, these are real things, and they're, they're actually witnessing this, then they're like, you've got to be somebody special. But Jesus didn't even respond to that part of it. He didn't even say, hey, thanks for t- telling me that I'm awesome. He just said, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, you must be born again, or you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. And he's like, what? That's let's, let's what his response, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? I mean, do you think that he's being serious, or do you think that he's being a little, what's the word? Scornful? Sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, maybe so much. I remember on The Chosen, he's kind of like, don't ask me to go back to my mother's womb. She's been dead for these many years now. And it was kind of like a lighthearted joke. But, you know, and maybe it was that way. But I think that he's trying to say, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that. But Jesus, that's when he brings up, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So truly, truly, I found this out. I thought it was cool. Amen. It means amen, amen. It's a very important moment. Jesus says that a lot, mm-hmm. you know? Amen, amen. And it's just a, a unique a unique way of drawing attention to uh, his statement and what he's about to say. But because of Nicodemus not understanding it at first and having to answer his question like, wait, how do I go back to the womb in a physical sense? Jesus is like rephrasing what he's saying to him so that then Nicodemus could understand. And I believe that he did understand water and spirit. The definite article, the, actually doesn't exist in the original text. So that's been added as in English just to help it, as in saying the spirit, which is trying to lead us to the Holy Spirit, which is fine. I mean, I get it, but it's not there. So he would say, unless you're born of water and spirit. And these things are actually not, they they are different, but they happen simultaneously. Um. And that's what we were getting into. There's there's a lot of controversy over this water and spirit. So some people believe that it's actual physical baptism in water. You have to do that first, and then you receive the Holy Spirit, and then that's what, you know, there it is. Some, some churches do believe that. Some people believe that the water is the amniotic fluid that's inside the womb, and that whenever the baby is born, so it's naturally born, and then it has to be spiritually born. That's the way they see it. However, 
I'm okay as long as I get there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, just, just get there and believe. Right. But, you know, it's that under, when you were, you were saying this before and, when, and when, what you had that you sent us an email where Nicodemus didn't understand. I, I get how he couldn't understand, and I had to relate it to a kid watching a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. Mm-hmm. How can that happen? Wait a minute. How did, what, how, what, huh? Right. And because he's so indoctrinated, especially as a teacher, as this is the law, this is the way. And then now you have someone else saying, well, now you have to be reborn. Well, wait a minute. Reborn. Well, reborn, that's being born. Well, huh? Right. He, he's, he, at that point, hasn't opened his mind to what Christ has to has for him. Mm-hmm. If we use a, you know, I love to talk about biblical hermeneutics, you know, audience relevance. If, if we put ourselves there in that conversation with those two men, uh, Christian baptism has nothing at all. It doesn't even affect his mind. That Nicodemus isn't thinking about that. Now, maybe he had heard about John the Baptist and the plunging in the, you know, the um, Jordan River. But in his mind, when he's talking to Jesus, he's not even thinking about that. That's not what. So when Jesus rephrases the question, uh, or not question, but the statement to him, that's when Nicodemus is going to understand what he's talking about. Because Nicodemus is a man who understands the law and the prophets, he knows the law. So he's going to be able to recall from memory, oh, there is something more to this, okay? And so if you go into Joel, in the book of Joel in the Old Testament, in Judaism, they expected the kingdom of God to be what's called the age of the Spirit. That's kind of like the kingdom age, the coming age. Like, they're expecting it. And it's a part of the, in the old covenant, it's a part of the messianic age. That's what they see for themselves. So in Joel, the prophet, he says this in chapter two, verse 28. It will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So he's talking about this, there's going to be this time in the future where I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and then you're going, it's going to change, you're going to begin to prophecy. And so um, if you go to Isaiah chapter 44, listen to what Isaiah says, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So there's the connection of water and spirit. You see that? Where he's pouring it out and that how that water is that cleansing and to take something that is dead and give it life, right? So let's see. Here's another one. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 through 27. For I will take you from the nations gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So this Ezekiel really brings it home, you know, getting that water and spirit together and understand this is a God thing. So 
in my opinion, when it says, unless you're born of water, it has nothing to do with physical birth and it has nothing to do with baptism. It has everything to do with what God said he was going to do in the Messianic age, which is to pour out this water and spirit and bring them into the kingdom. That's what he was going to do for his people. So that's the revelation that he gives right there to Nicodemus. So he's. this is what we call regeneration in the Christian faith. It's to be reborn. And so he, by saying that it's not two things, he says, he says something else. In John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's showing us the difference between the physical world and the kingdom. Okay, so you can't get to the kingdom unless you're born again, and he, will, he is going to do it. God is going to do that for you. We all get that, right? Okay. I know we're breaking this down pretty deep, but this to me is the mir- the miracle of birth. Okay. This, this is what, when I thought about it, I was like, hmm, I really don't remember. Like I remember my moment whenever I was born again, but there was a series over quite a bit of time that I developed and I began to grow before I really started to understand that I was believing this all of a sudden because I didn't. I didn't believe it. And I would hear it and things would affect me in specific ways. But then all of a sudden, hmm. Ralph, you actually told me a story. I think it was uh, one of your earliest memories of taking communion, that something changed. What, would you remind me what that was? Well, there were, there were two distinct events in my life. Uh, when, I was in first, when I was in second grade, uh, you, uh, you had to take First Holy Communion. And uh, you know, after second grade, you can become an altar boy. And so I did that through eighth grade. But at a certain point, I was sitting there, and I was praying to God all the time. I was reading. I was studying. I was trying to understand because I didn't understand. And the Lord said, you're ready. Come down. And it's the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I stood up. I got in line. And I believed that God was calling me and telling me that, I was ready, that, mm-hmm. that I was worthy of coming to do that. And the, the good thing about that in my life is instead of taking a class and checking something off that somebody else told me it was I was worthy, God told me I was worthy. Mm-hmm. Come. I didn't have to have somebody else. And what came from that was, oh, my gosh, I really have to live up to this. Mm-hmm. Some other person does, you know, the teacher says something, okay, but when you feel like it came from God, there's more pressure to uh, to be better. But it, And it wasn't pressure from people. It was an inner pressure that said, okay, this is something that I believe in. And if I believe in it that strongly that I did that and overcame my fear, then uh, then I need to continue down this path. And that uh, that's when I, I, that was the beginning of me knowing. And then when I knew that I was, that I, that I w- was Christian was when I was nine years old. I went to a Baptist church with my friend. They lived down at the end of the street. His dad was a Baptist minister, and I'd go to his church on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and learn, learn Bible verses like everybody else and get my dollar bucks and buy those erasers and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but he said, if anybody believes come down. And I, at that point, knew that it was my time to make a choice, that that God made the choice for me when I was in second grade. But now I was making the choice to come down. And it was a 
like this, like the spirit comes upon you and you, and you, and you have the knowledge. And I, I think I, at that point I was spiritually ready. Mm-hmm. Have you done it since you were nine? Have I done what yet? Gone down? Have you had more experiences like that? Uh, yeah, uh, several. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I remember once I had been away from uh, church for a few months because uh, I was it's at this right when I left the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And I went to um, John Maxwell's church. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's Wesleyan, and it's in, down in San Diego. And I was sitting there, and the songs were singing and everything, and all of a sudden the Spirit descended upon me. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Now, someone invited me there, and it just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. And I, it, it felt at that point like I was being cleansed, and all of the, all of the questions I had about Catholicism that I didn't get answered. I, I didn't leave because I, I didn't believe things, because we can debate about some of the things that they do that are not written in the Bible. I don't care about that stuff. What I, I left because they wouldn't answer me. It, it always had to be faith. It, you couldn't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I left. Uh, but when I got to that church and I sat in there and we were singing and I just, you know, I started crying and just sitting in my seat. I wasn't weeping or sobbing, and I just I just felt everything go. And I'm like, okay, this is this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be, and this is good. And it just almost felt like a renewal. Mm-hmm. And you had also mentioned that you'd had some like a bit of a falling away after a divorce, but then you came oh, yeah. back, right? Do you, do you mind was me letting me pry into I was that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I was angry. I was really angry. And thank God uh, for Paulette Delgadillo. Uh, I my never fr- thought I'd hear that in a sentence. My, my friend, um, <laughs> Joe, uh, his wife, uh, Paulette, uh, she listened to me. She was very religious. And she listened to me, and I remember one day saying, I'm not sure I believe in Jesus anymore. Because how could this happen to me? I've believed all my life. I've tried to be good. I've tried to do all this stuff, and it this has happened to me. I'm getting divorced. That's the worst thing that could happen. It's not my whole life was you're going to get married, you're going to have kids, and you're going to live your life. You're going to do what you need to do, and you're going to make a difference. And I've always wanted to make a difference. That's that's my since I was young, I've always wanted to make a difference in other people's lives. And when that happened, and she just looked at me and listened to me, and without judging me, just loved me. And I remember coming back to her one day and saying thank you to her and that, you know, I'm better and I believe. And it's not that I didn't believe, it's just I was questioning because I was angry. Right. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was, I was just curious. How old were you, Ralph, when that, that happened? No, oh, I'd have to calculate that. I got married when I was 30, got divorced, I think, when I was 40. Hmm. So at the top of this episode, he, he talked about um, the way that we're brought and we're not allowed, you know, to um, to stick with those uh, Catholic or critical or ecumenical. Which you've been through all of them, Ralph. You've 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 been to these different churches. You've had these different experiences, but every single time you felt a drawing to you. The first time it was a draw saying you were worthy. You know, if we were when you come from a Baptist church like me, they beat you down to tell you you say I'm not worthy, right, Cherry? Would you agree? Yes. Like there's, when you hear somebody say, oh, I'm worthy, oh, you could never be worthy enough. Never, never, never. But truthfully, God said to you, you're worthy, come down now, right? And you know what's funny about that? It's when you get there, because I had to listen to what the other people said. And just before I 
got mine, I took a left step to the side and turned around and looked to see what they were doing because I didn't know what they were doing. They were opening their mouths so that they could be put them in. Said, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. So you say those words, uh, and I knew those words because I'd heard those words, uh, but you're right. I, I felt like the Lord was saying I'm worthy. And so each time, and if it wasn't God's drawing, maybe it was through a person like Paulette that was listening and talking and, and being there for you, and you just, it gets to you, right? And so you make that decision again, like you just, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back with you. I continued to try to overcome my anger and my doubt because Paulette put it on my heart to do so. Mm -hmm. Had she not been there, I might have gone down a wormhole, but she was there, tender and loving and encouraging. And because of her, I felt I owed her my dealing with my demons. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that because of her. And I think the Lord put her in my, right in my path at that time. Right. Billy, can I pry a minute? Sure. What about yours? Like, what about your birth experience? Because you believe the Bible, you believe in Jesus. Did oh, yeah. you ever have a moment that yeah. you remember? I was 19. You were 19? Uh, I was 19. I was dating a girl, and um, her dad wanted me to come to church. I was, like, always busy. No, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to church. Like I said, I was, I was always in church. Uh, my grandpa was a preacher old school preacher, you know, he'd visit churches. He, you know, he truck drove 50, 60 hours a week, and then he preached on the side. You know, it wasn't, you know, and we'd drive all over the places, and he was the old old-fashioned one that would start with a, a suit, and when he got done, he just had his pants and his uh, tank top on and was soaking wet, you know, and, and you listened. I mean, it was it was that preacher that would you would listen. But I just went through the motions as a kid, you know, vacation Bible school, um, every day in Sunday school and I, I, you know, just do what you do, what you were told. And I guess 19, um, they had, this family had stayed on me to just come to church, get back into church. And like I said, I was dating her and I went to church and I was just sitting there and it was just like, I just started crying and it was like, you know, come down and, and like be born again and saved again. And it was just like, it's like Ralph said, you can't, you can't stop it. So, you know, I went down there and I, I felt like I got saved again and it felt real. It, it felt like for the first time it was real. So, and, and then to lead up to probably your second question, I feel like that feelings come back uh, again, you know, like maybe recently and, and, things like that is I don't know how many times you can get saved um, but you know it just feels like you know it it, it gets back to you or you know the, the Holy Spirit's talking to you or whatever you mm -hmm. know saying, saying that you know, yeah come back you know or it's just a we missed you or yeah yeah we, we, we missed you or you've been missing in action for a little while so come on back right cherry how about you um I got saved when I was 37 mm -hmm. um and so just week. so the address, so that the, our audience knows, she's 87. Right, yes. <laughs> so that was 50 years ago. Just kidding. Actually, I'm 44. So <laughs> I have been saved for seven years. Um, Rick and his wife at the time were very annoying friends of mine. <laughs> and they kept pestering me about God, church. And uh, finally, you know, he gives me this book. I don't even remember the name of the book. Um, but inside of it was talking about a love. 
And uh, there's a lot of things in my life. And um, to hear of a love that no one can take away from you, that will be eternal. Of course, it caught my attention. And in the interim of that, I had a brother-in-law pass away. So I spent some time down at my mother-in-law's house, and Rick would send me scripture to read. And he sent me the scripture. Um, I forgot about that. John 3. And in that scripture, uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus, basically, the wind comes and goes, but do you see which direction it comes from or which direction it goes in? And I was standing out in the uh, yard um, at my brother-in-law's house at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, well, if you're really real, show me. And I looked up at the top of the trees and the trees were blowing. And at that moment, I realized that he was real. And of course, I started to cry. And I went to church, come to church the Wednesday evening, because I had this overwhelming feeling of, well, now what do you do? What do you do when you find out Christ is real? And so I went and I listened to the preacher preach and I waited all evening throughout the whole service to ask the preacher, well, which direction do you go in? That That's, you know, when you're at that crossroads in your life that you were preaching about and which direction do you go in? Of course, he says he never preached that. That was not, not even, I don't even know, if that wasn't what he was preaching, I don't know what he was preaching, because that's what I was he hearing. He preached on slothfulness. It was nothing near that. So I have no <laughs> I remember idea. the day, I do. Um, so he then uh, answered my question with the question, have you ever been saved? And I said to him, no. Um, I never mind, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry if I took your time, you know, it's whatever. And he said, no, don't leave, wait. And so he went and got his Bible and he took me over to the pew on the right side of the church. And he asked if we could pray. I don't even remember what he said. I remember bowing my head at that time and just just accepting Christ because he is real and looking up and there stood my friend. She was standing there crying and my life has never been the same ever since. And I've had moments in my life, I've been angry, I've been bitter, currently going through a situation now in my life that I'm uh, very angry about. Um, but God's still there. He's still there. And He still says, come on back. God yeah. was faithful even when I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because He sent Paulette there to, to make sure that I didn't stray. Yeah. And and I I don't want to leave you out of this, Andy. Like, have you? I know. Just no joking here. I'm just being honest with you. Like, have you ever had any moments in your life where you felt drawn? Maybe it's in any fashion whatsoever to and, to and, a belief. And 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 on top of that, have, was there a moment in your life where you said, you know what? I've thought about this, and I'm an atheist. Like, uh, do you did you have that moment? That, that's an easy one. No. Not really. Not, not, there's no like moment. Uh, I mean, I grew up in like occasional church. Mom's uh, a Jehovah now, but I think she tried a couple different churches when I was growing up. And, and it was difficult to get me to go because I just wasn't interested. I was bored. I'm obviously a wildly fidgety kind of ADD mess. And it's just, there's nothing there for me. Uh, it's just, it's a bad platform. If you're like me, 
terrible way to sell a product. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> you know really. I no, mean, I get it. Yeah. It is. It is, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, did some Sunday school and some other stuff here and there. But, you know, I'm just always the – I was either distracted or probably annoyingly questioning. And, uh, and you know – I met some nice people that way, like had friends and stuff, but it was just, yeah, it just didn't catch. It didn't catch for me, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we never went consistently either, and I don't recall ever going while I was particularly young, which seems to be important. Um, and yeah, well, not in know. Cherry's life. She was thirty-seven. I'm telling you her never that she's went old. when you were you, when you were a kid. Your parents didn't weren't religious or didn't. To be honest with you, my father, um, his mother. She belonged to a Pentecostal church, and um, my dad told me later in life that he was embarrassed of his mother ah. when he was a teenager because she would out- outwardly pray, yeah. and his friends would hear it, and that oh, really Lord, wasn't yeah. cool at 13. No, it's not cool at 13. So uh, he actually chose to keep us pretty much away. away. Ah, interesting. So like yeah. here and there, I very vaguely but, remember. Yeah, maybe it sounds maybe like me, but maybe even less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. You never know. Uh, no, I just didn't want to leave you out of it. I no, wanna, no. You know, it's, if it's, you've ever had a, a moment where you felt drawn to Jesus in particular, has that ever happened for you? I think there was one moment when I was youngish, but I don't really remember it. And I, I feel like it just went on. I don't. I don't really remember. And I feel like it just went on unremarked. It was like, and next day was a Wednesday. And it was just like, that was just, that was that was it. It was just, I was having a shitty day and uh, I don't remember why because I really don't have a clear memory of this. It's again, it's like the idea of a memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I just think it kind of passed unremarked and I just moved on with my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it sure does. Yeah, and, and I, I know I've said it before that we'll reach out to God when we're in a bad spot. But mm-hmm. like 19, when I got saved, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't think I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was 19. I was working. I was dating. I was hunting. I didn't have a care in the world. That sounds know? all right. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was just <laughs> like, it was, yeah, yeah sure. it was just all right. But, you know, like, so, and, and I guess my question to you guys is like, so we, like with Cherry getting saved at 37, that means God has a plan for all of us. So mm-hmm. when we're born, like, naturally, we're at ground ignorance, correct? We're mm-hmm. not taught anything. We're all at the same level. Uh, religion, sexuality, uh, good, bad, we are all have a plan or taught that or like, you know, what What are we? Like, I mean, I guess we're getting it's into like God's will, a, God's, our will, his plan, our plan, whatever, but like, from you a, know, I mean. From a Christian perspective, if that's what you're asking me, from our perspective, you're born dead in sin, you have the incapability of knowing God. Um, you don't know that as a baby. And I don't look at a baby and say, oh, look at that bundle of sin. Like I, right. yeah, I look at yeah, a baby and I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, that baby's so beautiful, you know? Yeah. Or that is a really ugly baby. <laughs> right. really I cannot believe baby. that mother actually kissed that baby. <laughs> that is an ugly baby. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but as they, you know, as you grow, I mean, Kids. I mean, we're taught, but but you had a story last time, like that there was a uh, the girl that died in mm-hmm. your life, Rachel. Uh, yeah. yeah, Rachel was uh, raised by atheists, mm. come to God and then left God. Yeah, or was on wasn't the, sure about God. Right. Yeah, came to that point where okay. she's like, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, and yeah. then died okay. just like two weeks later. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then I had that dream that made me feel better. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, exactly. And it was all a dream. It's all in my head. Um, the human beings lack the ability uh, of really even um, coming to Christ on their own. Uh, it requires him drawing, and the scripture is rife with that language. It's not. I'm not just saying it. Um, yeah, no matter how many times we go to vacation Bible school or how many churches we go to, mm-hmm. so okay. You'll have um, every one of you uh, in this room with me, and, and you know, I don't want to like leave Andy out of it, but, but from our perspective, being believers, that we've had moments where we felt that drawing coming from him. And that's water and spirit. That's what he is telling Nicodemus is, I'm going to do this. This is, you have to have this in order to be in the kingdom. This is what it requires. And guys, you got to understand, I mean, I was a hardcore atheist. Like I did not believe in God. I believed in um, a self generating universe. I believed in alien species. I believed in so many things. What did you believe when you died? That was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that I would just, I was that energy that was neither created nor destroyed, but only changed form. And that this energy, what you see as my soul, is this electromagnetic current that's flowing through, and I have a personality, and then eventually it will cease and I will go into the ground, and I will become nutrients for plants, and the plants will grow. And, and that's it. No more. Real, yeah, that's you know, it. Okay. Yeah, okay. and, and I, I had no. I, I was just curious. I mean, yeah, I, I had I no never, fear okay. of death or worry or concern. I just I was thankful that I was alive. That's yeah, it's the dying that worries me, not the being dead. <laughs> the being dead looks pretty easy. Yeah, it's like Byron yeah. Allen, the comedian, said. It's not the plane falling that bothers me. It's that sudden impact. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so I just, why do good though? Hmm? Or why be good? Well, because if, if, it's if a nice don't thing have to a do. Ever, if you don't have an afterlife, or you don't believe in an afterlife, why not? Yeah, be just, a, be I don't a, know, because you're you not know, an asshole. Uh, Thank well, you. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> okay, okay. It's really, it's really yeah, like that I mean, easy. Still, it's just like, like, you're a people, there's people, you have okay, an emotional that's, connection that's to them. You don't. Being an asshole is a choice. Yeah, but it's like the, like, you know, we talk about herd immunity and things like that. If you if you think about being a part of the human herd and that— Oh, and we are. We, we are, are pack animals. We are. Yeah, and so uh, just deciding to go the evil route, it really depends on a person's personality. You know, either it could be how they were raised. But I have seen people They're, raised in beautiful Christian homes with the same loving parents, and those guys just turn into, you know, I don't know. I mean, goons. they— yeah, they just don't care about how anybody else feels. But, you know, I just, I was good because I wanted to be good to my fellow man. I just did, okay. you know. Fair enough. And, you know, so, and I knew all those arguments. I was that way. But I just, guys, I was drawn. It was it was outside of my own control. It was. it, And it was consistent. And, you know, I, I began, like, I would remember things that people had said to me over the course of my life. And anytime it surrounded Jesus, there was just something unique about that name, something about him, about his love, about his sacrifice. I just didn't understand it. I thought it was, I thought God was a bloody God. This is a horrible religion. Um, You know, I had people that were around me like, man, if somebody could have just killed Abraham before he met God, we wouldn't have all these holy wars, you know, like, 
that was how I felt, you know, but I just, I couldn't let it go. And then finally, I got to this place in my life where I was like, I want to know who he is. Like, why are you, can, you know, you can't explain it. You just can't. And it's talking to any of my atheist friends or family, it's just, I mean, Andy's actually uniquely different because he actually cares about people and he's okay with whatever, that which is nice. And so, and I think What's he has an open mind too. the thing that happens when you become an adult, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, that is not really true is. for <laughs> everyone, Andy. You need to know that. That is yeah. not true. You're and a I very think nice Andy's person. open-minded. I don't think that he's closed-minded to us doing all of this and maybe one day him having a different epiphany. I don't think that he looks at it. I don't think he believes it would happen. But I think if it did happen, I don't think he would fight it. I mean, you may question yeah. it. But. I think that, you're right. Exactly. I think that's fair to surmise about. Yeah. I think it would take. Uh, yeah, true. I don't. I don't. I don't it see. It would a definitely path be forward. a draw. It would <laughs> yeah. definitely be a draw. We're talking <laughs> yeah. electromagnetic no, force yes. here. Yeah, I don't. I don't see a path forward. I just don't. I don't believe in magic, and I don't see it. And I wish I did. There yeah. You go. Well, I don't believe in magic either. Um, oh, in the beginning, I doubted all of the miracles. Change the water into wine, the parting of the Red Sea. I didn't believe in any of that as a kid. Yeah. I believed in Jesus, but I didn't Just believe in any of that. Stepped on my own court as I stood yeah. up. That was a, a mess. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have any specific arguments against them, or any. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I just, I just think like ah, you know, something happened in there. Uh, it was, it might have been weird, but I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, I don't see it. Yeah. Well, and you have. I know few people, and you're one of them, with a truly analytical mind, where you think about your life. You think about what's in your life. You think about what you do, what you say, what you hear, what you're going to take in. Um, you Sometimes don't, after the fact, for the record. Well, yeah, but, but still, you do <laughs> think human. and you analyze things, and you, uh, you, you always have something to say that, you know, you'll you'll say something. We'll be sitting here and Rick will say, that's a really good point. <laughs> or that's really good because I can tell that you think, you know. You really are becoming a great photographer, by the way. Oh. No, you are. Like this I is, This is too much about me. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just, look. Thank um, you. That's how we suck you in. <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. 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 Honestly, you really are. Keep at it. I mean, it's awesome. Some of the pictures that he sent from Colorado that I saw, I mean, I only saw a few of them. I was like, wow, I want that on my wall. You've yeah, got one I, of this night I sky. Really, I want it on my wall. I really want to like print some and just, you know, try to sell them. I think you see should. What happens. It's probably a, a money sink, but it's another, it's another one of those like long shot ways to make money. Like it's a cool way to make money. Almost nobody pulls it off. But Yeah. Well, I will buy the one with the stars. I'll point it out and just get it printed for me. All right. So Let's move on now. So we, we understand that you must be born again. He's telling this to Nicodemus. And, um, but this, is, this was interesting when he said, flesh gives birth to flesh, all right? And I was looking at the words. And the context of flesh, and this is where it kind of sh it shifts a little bit. In the Greek, he's comparing these two words, sarks versus pneuma. Pneuma meaning, meaning spirit and sarks meaning the flesh. And Paul uses this a lot. He talks about the war of the flesh and the spirit and all like he talks about that all the time. But it's only used in this gospel once and it's right here. 
whenever he said that which is born of flesh is flesh, he's letting you know that the physical condition of you is physical, but the spirit is spirit. There is a divide. He's really making that clear. And so the only time that Jesus really uses it, the same contrast is in the garden of Gethsemane. In Mark 14, 38, he says, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I have heard numerous sermons on this, like the flesh, like the flesh is weak and that we sin and we do all this. In this particular instance, he's talking about being tired. He's actually just talking about being tired. He's saying that your spirit is like, I'm asking you, I am, I'm praying and I've got sweat like drops of blood coming out. Like I'm being crushed. I want you to pray with me. And their heart is in it, but they're too tired. They're exhausted. They just can't hold on. And so, but whenever Paul talks about it, you really get that meaning of, ooh, our physical nature really is at war with the spirit. It's always at war. You you feel it too, right? Yeah. Our 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 spirit wars with our flesh. Oh, it's a tug of war all the time. All the mm-hmm. time. You do you notice oh, that? Yeah. 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 I notice it. I notice that your flesh is against the spirit all the time, Billy. Oh, well, I can smell it. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I smell the heat. Do you ever experience from here. that, Andy? Experience what? Do you ever experience like your fleshliness just wanting to do something that you shouldn't do? You gotta have then, a definition oh, of fleshliness. Yeah. I think. I mean, Will that be sure. conscience for you? Conscience? Yeah. I, yeah like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, so Andy, I want to do something. Do you have a conscience? <laughs> no. You I, no, I don't. Uh, it, I, want so to be, I want to be clear. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, yeah, you want to do stupid things. Is that is that kind yeah, of what like it boils you, you down of, to? You kind of have this like, be well, self destructive you know, yeah, yeah. or other destructive, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Husband destructive. Is that where you're going? Several people destructive. (laughs) And of course, you know that's not the right thing to do. I mean, we what is it? We're all we're all just a nap and a snack away from being a crying toddler. Yes, basically, you know this. Your mind, your body is a part of your brain, and. Yeah, there's a lot of things that go into decision making, many of which you just don't have control over. The, the like how hungry you are, <laughs> like <Right>. literally, <laughs> right? You know that that's that makes a, that can make a big difference in your day. That can make you make a you're hungry, you're just kind of in a bad position. That's enough to make you make a couple terrible decisions. That can be a problem for you for a while. Just yeah. that. I mean, it's that simple. But it's you know, there's a bunch of other things that aren't hunger that kind of are inflicted on you if having this mortal coil, you know? Right. Do you, how do you answer to yourself, though? Like, do you have, do you set a morality for yourself to kind of, like, a code to live by? Not not out loud. I mean, it's internalized, and it's not something I developed over time. Does that make sense? Something mm-hmm. that your mom taught you or something that you just kind of observed around you? Probably and- obser- observational. Uh, nobody fed me. Uh, this is right, this is wrong. Like, because how long would that set of instructions be? It's impossible. At some point, you just have to make ad hoc calls based on a couple rules that According you According to shown. the Bible, it's 613 of them, yeah. Really? <laughs> and if you want to know the number. And according to Jehovah's Witness, it's 144,000. <laughs> that's people. Yeah, right. yeah, if, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was just bringing another number oh, let's in. Let's just add a number in, yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's a good, it's an, that's an interesting question. I don't know exactly how to answer it. Yeah, I that's think, one of I the think, biggest arguments that Christians make in debates with atheists is how do you have a morality? And if you have a morality, where do you legislate it? I never— And, and I, all that between atheist I, to atheist. I never understood that question. That question doesn't make any—it just— it. It's hard to answer because it just doesn't make sense mm. to me. Well, Billy has said, well, why be good? Well, you are a Christian. Mm. So obviously you're going to say the reason to be good is because you're going to be held to a standard through what you know as being a Christian. Yeah. Andy, on the other hand, is not a Christian. He's a pirate. But he he has. <laughs> well, I, I, do have, I do have that. There you go. <laughs> he has an underlying fish, is that a understanding. Fish tattoo? <laughs> yeah, so what is Jesus a fish. Bone fish. Oh, gracious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't. I don't think that I try to be good because of the Bible. I think most people don't because you can't. You that's a whole layer of thought. You can't have in every snapshot moral question you have to answer in a day. Mm-hmm. Right. That is that's a whole layer of thought that has to be inserted consciously, and you're not making those decisions based on that ever. Right. Except for specifically those times when it enters your mind. How do I want to be godly or worthy of God or like mm-hmm. Jesus in this instance? That is the only time that you are using that as a filter. You will know it because that is a conscious thought mm-hmm. every time. Every other time, you're just you're kind of doing what's nice or mm-hmm. you're doing what's not nice. Yeah, I'm doing right. how yeah. I was raised and with everything that I've seen and done and has happened to me and I've done to others, mm-hmm. how I've chosen to be as a, as a man. And I, I don't... I don't make or not make a decision based on my faith because I think that's just inside me and I've developed who I am be- as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's all the same, but I don't I don't attribute it to being good and not sinning I and that I I'm doing say it that because for of myself, Christ. Though. I'm no? doing it because I, I want to be in, a good person. In In some cases, yes, yes, I can make— with my own volition, I make decisions apart from my belief in God. 100% that happens. But there are times in my life whenever something that I encounter that is over and above normal, I, I'm, I bring You're back the memory thought. recall of sure. the scriptures that I've read that, I, that have become a part of me. But my argument is only that you know when that is happening. No, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. But I'm consciously making the decision to act in a specific way because of what I've learned from the scriptures about what God says or what Jesus says. That's a conscious decision. Well, I, th- I think yeah. we do that, and it's subconscious with now some, with because what I've we've read learned it so from, much from everything. I, I think it's but because of what we learn from everything. And I, what I do believe about the Bible is, even if you don't believe, it's a great way to live your life. If you were live your life the way the Bible, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, this, Instruction this, to do you got to be a little the selective. There's, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't, well, you don't want to be a Babylonian. I, yeah, I'm not talking eye for an eye or an Ammonite. We, we're mostly talking uh, New Testament. Yeah, New and Testament Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus. Well, yeah. You're talking about Jesus and disciples. You're not talking about like. Um, the chief priest, like you don't want to act like right. him. No, no, no. We're talking about you know Jesus and the I New know, Testament. I'm just messing. I'm just so. But I can see where Andy's coming from. Like I'm not going to open the door for Cherry just to get to heaven. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. I mean, it's I mean, not a that, part of that calculation. It, exactly. You're just not being I, I, a dick. Just yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> open the door for Cherry. It never happens. <laughs> I'll do it on the way out. Cherry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on just a little bit here. So. We've talked about flesh now, and we've talked about the difference of the war and the spirit with the flesh. And here's something interesting that Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians. 
He said, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So the Bible is teaching us that this cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the place that he's talking about, this body can't go there. Correct. The flesh and blood cannot make it. All right. So here's another place, Romans 8, 8 through 9. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So there's something unique now. There's a difference. If you have been born of water and spirit, God sees you differently. You might be in this fleshly body, but he sees you differently. Okay? Disappointment. <laughs> I can't, I, I, I've never been able to live up to I don't to mean my your father. father. I've I never mean... been able to live up to, to God. I've, I was I've say, always considered myself a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the Catholicism. Hey, yeah, we got guilt. Yeah. yeah. You know, the Jews and the Catholics got, Jew, got, got guilt down. <laughs> it's true. So, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, so you're right at a place where I want to ask a question. All right. So, what happens to everyone who's never heard about Jesus? What happens because to Because there are some people that say, if you haven't heard and accepted, you're not going to heaven. And there are other people that say God makes exceptions for those, and he judges us based on who we are and what we've known. But let's say that... Uh, Let's say that Andy's never heard about Jesus, and then two people talk to him about Jesus, but he really doesn't understand, and then he dies. Where does mm-hmm. he go? Well, I Is would say— Is he not part of the kingdom of heaven? If he didn't choose Christ, no. But if he if, if he wasn't— so If you're so just for, saying he misunderstood it— So for everyone that's never heard about Jesus, if it wasn't presented, then you will be judged by your heart. The scripture says so. So what is in your heart? Says that though. That's why I wanted. When you are brought before God, I don't know that you would want to be judged by your heart. But it's different. You know, there is a moment. The presentation of the gospel is kind of a hook. So you're saying there's sort of a higher standard. And what about people who are if you're introduced? If you're introduced and you're. If they're crazy in the brain, we don't, yeah, you know, there's we don't want psychotics that kill a bunch of people and they, they don't have the ability to stop themselves. Yeah. And I'm not bringing this up to question no, you or anything. No, it's okay because you're going to get into other people out there that have asked this question. And I know that there are some people that are zealots that say, no, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you're, you're, you can't get in. And I just don't buy that. There is, there is a, there is a reprobate mind, a depraved, the depravity of man that is so in Ra- everyone. Can I ask Ralph a question? Sure. So if in the Bible it says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, wouldn't that mean specifically if you don't accept him? then So if you you've never been presented with him? My question would be then, honestly— was he presented to the individual in the right way? And then who does the fault fall on? The oh, presenter or the one that's, that's being presented to? And that's what I've said scares me the most about going to heaven is the Lord's not going to show me what I did right. He's going to show me everyone that I turned away. Right. I that, understand that. to me is hell. Yeah. I actually had that conversation with Rodney. Well, 
we're getting ready to get into it. Not on this episode. We're getting ready to finish this episode with this last question, and then we'll get into our. Um, we'll we'll carry that next time. But I want to stop in G in John three seven because now we understand what born of water and spirit is, what flesh and blood is versus the spirit, and how there is something unique that Nicodemus is now learning from Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, and he must have had a look on his face. And this is how we'll end this podcast. He says, "Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again, because obviously." He was amazed. He did not understand. And so we'll pick that up in our next episode. Now, before we go, I want to read something by John Paul II. Okay. Uh, he wrote this. He said, the Are problem— about the bass player for Led Zeppelin? New Pope. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, John Paul II. Yeah. The problem of children baptized in infancy who come for teaching in the parish without receiving— other initiation into the faith and still without any explicit personal attachment to Jesus Christ, um, where you're talking about you've got to accept Christ. He noted that being a Christian means saying yes to Jesus Christ. But remember, this yes has two levels. It consists of surrendering to the Word of God and relying on it, but also means at a later stage, endeavoring to know better and, and better the profound meaning of His Word. So it's not just—I mean— Yes, you can say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but there is, you, 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 I believe you still need to continue growing and searching and getting better and not just sit there and be a bump on a log and say, well, I'm Christian. I mean, and, you know, in reality, if you believe that, you can be, but I, am, I implore you that uh, you need to go and uh, do what Christ said, and that is spread the word. Mm-hmm. Did you have something, Cherry? I kind of was just thinking in Do my it. mind. Well, well, you know. That's a good place for it. Um, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a lot of <laughs> It doesn't work me. very well in a podcast, uh, I'm afraid. I, I believe so, such as when, um, I believe it was Paul was telling them, when you're babes in Christ, you're on milk. And with growth, then you are able to eat meat, same as the physical. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feed a newborn a piece of steak any more than you would want to think that your newborn size baby is 20 years old and you're still giving him milk. So yeah, the, the object obviously would be to grow in Christ. Some people unfortunately receive salvation and then they're good with that and never go any further with it. Um, and I think that has to do with um, whether, you know, uh, I can't think of the scripture, but it's like where he's saying what you are inside the father's house, like whether you're wood or um some other material. I can't remember. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? No. No? I'm lost. I'm trying. I'll have to, I'll look it up and then I'll. Living I'll tell Stones? You no. Well, I think that some people are. Like a doorkeeper a f- in the father's house as opposed to, you know, you know whether you're something more. You're talking or less. like the part of the body? No. Okay. I'll have to look well, it up. Was it but anyway. like when the master gave each one, here, here's a coin, here's a coin, here's a coin, and one buried because he was yeah. afraid, mm-hmm. and the other one went and did some, and then the other okay. one out and went. And did yeah. a bunch, and he got from the one who did and buried it. Mm-hmm. So, and th- I think the same thing with humans. I some some people are afraid to talk to people about Christ. Uh, some people are afraid of their own shadow. Some people don't know how. Uh, some people don't feel worthy. Uh, some people. I mean, there's a there's a whole myriad of reasons why. Well, like you said, the fear, the biggest fear I would have is to mislead someone, especially using scripture to do it. Trying to lead them to Christ and lead them completely the opposite direction. Well, 
I got a joke. No, I didn't wear a vest a today. I didn't <laughs> well, wear, a vest, wear today. a vest today. I did not. I want to give you the definition of a joke. All right. It's, it's, when, someone la- it's when someone laughs. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true. It's a bad joke. Saw Dave Chappelle last night. Hilarious. Did you watch <laughs> The Closer? Ooh, yeah. Oh, it's he's so rough. brilliant. He oh, he's is, top of his game, but dude, it is, it is, oh, it's rough He even mentions it. He said, some people call me the goat. <laughs> You know, and he is. <laughs> he yes, is. he really is. All right. Anyway, so two two of them. One really short one. Here's the first one. So, uh, what did the <laughs> what did the Russian policeman say to his belly button? Don't know. You give up? Yeah. You're under a vest. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Is there a website for these jokes? Yes. That you get all so from the same website. Can I go back website? to my definition? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ter- okay. terrible vest jokes. <laughs> I went to. <laughs> yes, I had to find a vest joke. All right, here's the last one. This this uh, couple, this boyfriend and girlfriend, they are, are actually their fiancés. They're going to get married, and they've been told, "Hey, you shouldn't see each other on the day of your wedding." But they decided to drive to the wedding together. Okay, so on their way, they have this terrible crash. They die. They're standing at the pearly gates, and there's Larry, the fifteenth apostle. Here he is. Get her dad. <laughs> and so <clears throat> they they look at each other and they're like, can you believe this? We didn't get married. And there is no marriage in heaven. That's what it says in the Bible. So they go up to Larry and they're like, Larry, we were on our way to our wedding. Is it possible that we could get married? And he goes, huh. You know, no one's ever asked me that. And he's like, you're going to have to stay right here. I got to go look around and ask some questions. I'll be back. So he goes away. Well, it's been two days two months. It's been a while. They're just hanging out in eternity. You know, just, and she's, the, the girlfriend or the fiance says, um, what if what if we don't really want to be married here? Like, what if we get up here and we like really like it and we don't have to answer to one another? We just, you know, we like it. We could be friends, you know what? So if we get married, do you think there's a possibility that we would could get divorced here too? Like if we don't like it? And I'm like, I don't know. And then suddenly Larry, the 15th apostle pulls up. You know, walks up and he's like, okay, I finally got an answer. Yes, you can get married in heaven. They were like, oh, that's amazing. But we do have one other question. Is it possible if we don't like this that we could actually get divorced here? And he goes, are you kidding me? It took me this long to find a priest, and now you want me to find a lawyer? (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Hey, that's a funny joke, Ralph. That is absolutely brimshot. (laughs) Did you find it, Cherry? I did. What is it? 2 Timothy 2.20. All right. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm, I get kind of stumbled up on my words, get nervous, even though uh, it was just us, but I do kind of read. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of just read. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us, Billy. See ya, Ralph. Represent Cherry. Bye. And uh, we'll talk. Bye. To- <laughs> I don't know what another word for goodbye is. <laughs> Adios. There you we'll go. talk to you next I'll time the on the burrows of Berea. With too much pressure. <laughs> so, what was that sound? My throat.
Oh, okay. That was neat. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever listened to George Carlin when he takes a drink of water and you listen to it and he puts a microphone at his stomach and you hear it go bloop? (laughs) No. I just assumed it was Rick, like burping or something. Oh, yeah. I just took a drink of water and it was settling and. (laughs) Right. Yes. So Cherry is going to do um, a little read. She's going to read that. I want you to put some music with it at the beginning. This is before the intro. Okay. So it she'll with the music. She'll if you read have a that. suggestion for music. Let me know at some anytime. I want it to be like something. I want it to sound like porn. Like <laughs> just kidding. No, it'll be something sort How of. How do like, you know what porn sounds like? Because I, I used to watch it constantly. <laughs> It was like from the time I was 12 till I was 39. For the music? <laughs> Only. <laughs> I was trying to learn how to play the bass. Yeah, just Playboy for the articles and porn yeah. for the music. Yeah. <laughs> there was jokes in Playboy magazines. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Everybody quiet. There you go, Jerry. <laughs>